good morning, everyone. How are we all doing? You guys doing all right? You don't know how you feel now after that video, huh? <laughs> uh, hey, really quick before we go on, I want to welcome our guests this morning. If you're new here to the Rock Church, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm Pastor Vaughn, and know that uh, we love you guys and we welcome you guys. Will you guys give it up for our guests this morning? Really quick, in your uh, connection, uh, in your worship guides, you'll see a green connection card. It looks a lot like this. Uh, if you wish to get, get uh, plugged in here at the Rock Church, I uh, want to know more information, fill this out. Um, if you're a regular tender church member, we ask that you would do the same thing. On the back of there is a couple next steps, uh, as well as a prayer request. Uh, we do pray over these. I look over these personally, um, and all information is kept private. We actually shred them uh, first thing on Monday or Tuesday. Um, but go ahead and fill these out, and in the back of the sanctuary or out in the foyer, there's a giving box. Just drop that in there, uh, and that'll go directly where it goes. You'll also see uh, a giving envelope. Angie will touch on that later in the service. Um, but go ahead and pull out uh, our new sermon uh, notes this morning. We're starting a brand new series called It's End of the World as we know it. And can everyone say, I feel fine? Okay, uh, I didn't quite believe you felt fine. Uh, but I, my prayer is by the end of this message series is that we would actually, we would feel fine. I don't know, it seems like to me, everything around us is screaming, everything is getting worse, doesn't it? Like, like, no matter where you go, you can read through a newspaper, you can go on social media, uh, you can just go to Walmart, and everything is saying the end of the world is coming. It's coming to an end, and you as a person, you have the obligation to freak out. You need to have stress, you need to have anxiety, you need to be running around like you have no clue, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. That's what the world wants you to do, but my prayer towards the end of this, is just like there, is we can say the end of the world is coming, we know it, but I feel fine. And I think we need to get there as Christians, as Jesus believers, because really, we should not be wavering no matter the circumstances, amen? Like we as Christians, we read the Bible, hopefully. You saw how it all started. And if you want to jump to the very end, you know God wins. So yes, the world is ending, but we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. But I know our world can really have a big play on that. I, you can look at our political realm. Uh, I don't have to talk too much. I don't like to talk too much about politics on stage, but it feels like our nation is more divided than ever with the left and the right. Uh, there's a lack of transparency and truthfulness with our leaders. Uh, corruptness is a trend now. And you watch the news or you just look through social media and they tell you the world is dwindling due to our political culture. Uh, you can look at technology. Uh, we love technology. I love technology. I, I love my smartphone. Um, I don't know what I, how I lived before this. Um, I can tell you I come from the generations uh, where we didn't really have a cell phone. Uh, the big block was still popular. Um, you kinda, for those of you, uh, this section right here, that's when you clip it to the side right here, and it was about this big. And there wasn't a screen on. There was just a bunch of numbers. Um, and so, but then I got in high school where I got my first cell phone and it was an Nokia block where I can only play the snake game. That's all I could do. And some, how many of you guys remember that? The Nokia phone, right? And then like the Razor Flip came out and you're like, oh man, that's what all the cool kids had. I wasn't part of the cool kid group. I didn't get the Razor Flip. And so I got stuck with the Nokia and then the smartphones came out. And so, and it said, uh, I was listening to a podcast. He said technology um, has developed so fast that in the next year, technology will develop so much as it takes back in the day, human progress took 200 years to develop. Does that make sense? 
Like back before technology, it would take 200 years to develop something. Now it just takes a year due to human progress. And most of us, we do like technology, but now technology is impacting humans. I mean, jobs are being lost because AI is coming. Before, artificial intelligence was just something you found like in sci-fi movies. Now AI is actually a real deal and it's taking people's jobs. And so we're wondering about our jobs, what's gonna happen? Uh, you go to Walmart, now we do our own checking out. We don't go through a person anymore. And I, it doesn't matter if you're a fan of that or not. I'm just saying technology is developing and it's impacting us. And so some of you, you can ask people about technology and they said the world is dwindling and going downhill because of technology. Uh, if you just look at our natural world, and I think this has a really big split. Uh, I don't care if you believe in climate change or not, you can tell the landscape of the earth is changing. It's changing. There's once that were beautiful rainforests are now complete deserts in China. We're over logging our forests, the, uh, the air quality. There's actual towns that you have to, when you live in, they'll send you a notification that you need to wear a breathing respirator so you can breathe clean air. And I don't know about you, but people would say due to our climate change or whatever it might be, the world is ending. The only thing you can look at now is like even the world's social networking. More than ever, people have access to other people and be connected. And it really it started really, really well. Their hope was to bring the world together and connect us together so that we can reach people overseas and really have some diverse community. But what's been happening now is you go on social media, people are taking it and they're spewing hatred and bitterness and negativity and lies, I, if I can, this speaks to every generation, do not get your news from social media. In fact, if I can kind of lay it out there, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at algorithms behind Facebook and Instagram, but there's algorithms behind there that they'll actually feed you the garbage that you're looking for. So for instance, if you wanna find out if cats are better than dogs and you keep clicking on why cats are better than dogs, guess what Facebook's gonna keep sending you? Cats are always better than dogs. And all it does, it feeds your biases. And so you don't get truth. You just get assumptions and opinions. And because of that, now more than ever, generations are against generations. Families are against families. Job careers against job careers. And people can tell you because of the social networking, our world is just going to hell in a handbasket. And so no matter where you look in our realm, the world, it does look like it's ending. If you ask anyone on the street how they think it's going, I can bet you they'll tell you they don't think the world's in its best shape. The world is very in a bad condition. And that's really why we're doing this series because while it looks like our world's gonna end for the majority of people, it brings fear. But I want us, despite the world's condition, church, I want us to be at this place where it's the end of the world as we know it, but we feel fine that we're gonna be okay. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about some pretty grim topics. And I, I would just kind of put this out there because we do wanna preach a message of hope and uplifting and we'll make sure we end the message like this, but we're gonna talk about some really hard topics over the next four weeks. Today, we're gonna to talk about how evil entered the world, how we have this knowledge of good and evil and due to human progress, how has it impacted us as believers? Uh, next week, we're gonna be talking about the book of Revelations. How many of you guys read the book of Revelation? Yeah, some of us. I'm actually surprised because some of us, we get to that book and we skip it. Either it scares us or we don't understand it. But I'm telling you, God has a say in how the world ends. And for people who follow Jesus, we're going to be all right. 
we're going to be okay. But we're going to look at that. Week three, we're going to confront evil and tackle, tackle the question, if God is so loving, then why do bad things happen to good people? Which that's the biggest question. In fact, my generation, the generation after me, that is the question that they're asking. If your God is so loving, then why do bad things happen? If he's all powerful, why isn't he stepping in and handling our issues? And there's an answer to that, believe it or not, in scripture. So we're gonna be looking at that. In week four, we're actually gonna develop our own personal survival guide uh, and how to navigate this world and its issues. And so I wanna let you know, Come to this series, but be ready to talk about some really hard topics. And so today, we're talking about the knowledge of good and evil, and the best place to start with that is clear in the beginning. So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. This is where we're going to start. And while you do that, I want to share a current issue that's happening at our house. Um, I have three kids. I've got Aspen, who is five, uh, Micah, who just turned four, uh, and baby Brooklyn, who who will be one in the next week. And so pray for me. Um, My stress and patience is very, it's, it's dwindling really, really fast. And especially with this current state of behavior in our house, um, Jill and I, we try our best to teach our kids good manners, to be respectful, to love one another, and to love Jesus. And not to, like, toot my own horn, but I think we do a pretty good job. Like, it's, it's pretty decent. Like, Aspen and Micah, they can go to play, someone will give them a sucker, and they naturally say thank you. As for me, that's a hashtag parent win, Right? Like, that's a good thing. We go somewhere and a kid falls down, Mike and Aspen help them up. That is a parent win. Uh, when they say, Mom and Dad, I love you, that's a parent win. When they want to go to church because they love church, that's a parent win. And so I'm like, yes, we're doing like a really good job here. Let's keep going. But just recently, my kids have developed this behavior that I'm not a big fan of. And just to put it out there, Aspen, for an example, she gets really annoyed at Brooklyn. The baby, baby Brooklyn, who's one year old, just learned how to walk, super cute. Can't really get mad at her for anything. She's just, she's a doll. But Aspen doesn't think so. Aspen gets annoyed. And when Aspen gets annoyed at Brooklyn, she pushes her over. And not just like a friendly little shove. It's Aspen's five, Brooklyn's one. It's a full out linebacker. And there's sometimes where we walk out, and now we have, we've learned that we got to be in the same room because there's sometimes we found out, how did Brooklyn get from the floor to on top of the bed? Like, Aspen, what are you trying to plot here? And so she, and she gets super annoyed, and she'll yell at her and just push her over. Uh, Micah has developed this attitude where he just doesn't listen. Anyone here going through that phase with your kids have gone through it? I mean, he's four, and he's like, I don't even care what you say. There, there was the other thing, because I like to play the lazy dad card sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm eating lunch, at, not at the table. I know that's a, that's a fail. Uh, but I'm eating lunch in front of the TV, a little quick lunch. And I'm being the lazy dad. I'm like, Micah, can you turn up the TV? And he's just talking. Micah, can you turn up the TV? Stops talking, doesn't look at me. Micah, can you turn up the TV? Still ignores me. And it gets to this point where I'm getting frustrated, and he's winning this whole argument. I mean, this is my, like, he just does not care. And in fact, he even gets to this point where he tells you, he says, Mom, Dad, I, I don't want to do it. I don't care. Oh, man, if you ever want to, like, oh, that's, like, the time to, like, you want to do that. Brooklyn, who was only one, her first word that she clearly says is no. <laughs> well, she's not really doing anything yet, but I know that does, that's not a good sign to what's about to follow. 
but she says no to everything. And I don't know where she learned that from, probably Jill. <laughs> She's downstairs, she can't hear me until she listens to this. Might have to sleep at one of your dog, guys' dog houses here pretty quick. But her first one is, is, is no. And what's crazy was all of this stuff with each kid, Jill and I never taught them to do this. We didn't intentionally teach them to say, hey, how about you tell me you don't care what I say to you? Or, hey, when you get annoyed at your baby sister, just plow her over. <laughs> or, hey, let's learn the word no. Can you say no after me? Say no. We didn't teach them any of this. And, and it's pretty funny, but even if you would just step back and just look at people, you will see people that it comes pretty natural to do bad things. If you can just be honest with even just even just looking at me, like doing a self-reflection, it's pretty natural for me to do bad things. It doesn't take a lot to do something bad. Or we can even use the biblical sense to do something evil. And the same goes for everyone here. Being evil comes natural for us. And it starts out when we're first born into this world. And if you just take one more step back and you look at history from the dawn of time, you'll see a few things that never actually went away. It's always been there ever since the very beginning. And it's this, it's hostility, conflict, greed, rage, and hatred. Those things have always been there from the dawn of time. They were never invented. They were never taught. It was just there after the fall of man. And so I think it's only fitting when it comes to this question. And this is the first blank in your notes is, how did evil enter the world? We're going to have to step back and go way back in ancient times and look at Genesis chapter 3. And if you've never been to our church or you've never read the Bible, uh, this is a very kind of short chapter here, but it's a very powerful chapter because it answers a lot of our kind of fundamental questions. But we're going to pick up in a place uh, called Garden of Eden. And this garden, it was truly a paradise. If you can imagine a garden, th this garden was like the garden. There was no bad thing there. Everything was well. According to scripture that we read, there's two people named Adam as created from God and Eve created from Adam's rib. And so they walked with God daily. Like this was pretty much heaven on earth. Nothing bad, no disease, no set. Like it was perfect, perfect. And even God said after he created it, said it was good. And how many of you guys know if God steps back and says that's good? It must be good. And this is the Garden of Eden. But in this garden, there was a tree there with this fruit that Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat. And if you jump to chapter 3, you'll see a new character come on scene, and it's this talking snake. Now, if you never read scripture, you're like a talking animal. Yes, there's a couple instances in scriptures where animals do talk. Read them. It's very interesting. But this is one of those instances where... Satan, we believe Satan is disguised as a serpent and he's talking to Eve. And this is what he says to her, talking about this forbidden fruit. This is what he says, Genesis chapter three, verse one. He says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild. Really quick, who here hates snakes? Let's just get that all the way really quick. Some of you guys aren't raising your hands. You will become saved after this because snakes are from the pits of hell. I hate snakes. I don't care if it's a little garter snake. Its head is coming off. Do not like it. And, it, and you're like, oh, that's mean. They're good for the mice. They're good for the animals. Stop lying to yourself. <laughs> Even the Bible says snakes are bad. 
Let's pick up off the snow, off the soapbox there. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God has made. And one day he asked the woman, he meaning the serpent, he said, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the tree of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, not to eat it or to even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse four, he says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. So you kind of see how this happened. The, the serpent is saying, hey, you won't die. In fact, what will happen is you actually become more like God. And if there's ever thing, if, there, if there's anything that tempts humans the most, it's when someone says, you will be elevated if you do this. You will be bigger and better if you do this. In this case, the sermon says, you're not going to die. You'll actually be like God. God's actually holding back from you. The reason he doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because you'll be actually more like him. So he's actually holding back. Picking up right here, verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. I don't know why they didn't argue about it. He knew what was happening, was all that, but this is just what's happening. Then he gave some of the fruit. He was with her, and he ate it too. Verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt the shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, what happened right here is we see in picture of how evil entered the world. In fact, I can say it this way, because evil was already there, because the serpent was there. What happened was, is now we have the knowledge of good and evil. Before that time, it was perfect. Everything was fine. Everything was good. Have you guys ever heard, like, uh, ignorance is bliss a little bit? This was like, like God had the garden protected. It was perfect. Nothing was wrong with it. But since God is a loving God, he's a God of choice. You can't be a loving God and not give choice. He places a fruit in the middle and says, hey, stay away from this. And the serpent tempted Eve and they ate the fruit. And now because of that, we have this knowledge of good and evil. But here's the issue. The issue with knowledge of good and evil is this knowledge gives us, gives us enough to create and spot issues but not enough to solve them. I think that's actually that's a typo in your deal, but that's the correct one. This knowledge gives us enough to create and spot issues, the problems, the things that are wrong, but not enough to solve them. That's the issue. Here's the thing, church. We are so good at spotting issues, aren't we? How many of you guys got the, the spiritual gift of criticism? <laughs> like, you can spot issues, you see the problems. You know what's wrong. You know what could be better. But the thing with knowledge of good and evil is it doesn't give us enough to solve the problem. We can see it, but we can't do anything about it. In fact, kind of what I get a picture of is we're, is we're kind of stuck in this boat, kind of like the cartoon in the rowboat, and we see the, the, the leak spring up. We see the issue. We spot it. So our first kind of thought is what? Let's put a finger in there, and it'll stop leaking. We're good to go. But then what happens? Another one starts popping up. So you put a finger in that one. And then you realize three more pop up. And you're like, what do we do? And then soon the boat sinks. 
That is what happens in this world, doesn't it? We see the issues in our life. It could be your marriage issue. It could be a kid issue. It could be a parenting issue. It could be something at school, at your job. And you try to fix it on yourself because you see the issue. You know it's bad. And so your first instinct is to take it upon yourself to plug the hole up, but a few more pop up. And pretty soon you see your life, the boat, begins to sink. Anyone been there? I've been there. You try to plug out holes, but it just keeps, the water keeps coming and the problems keep coming faster than you can solve them. And pretty soon it feels like you're drowning. Let me encourage you, you're not the only person in that boat trying to plug all the leaks in their life. You're not the only person. Even Adam and Eve, the person that God created himself, had this issue. As soon as they ate the fruit, what happened? They saw an issue. Hey, we're naked. This doesn't feel right. Now, in my opinion, if we, okay, I'm just kidding. But they saw the issue. What was their first instinct when they saw the issue? We need to run to God. No, no, that's not what they did. Hey, we need to fix this problem. Let's take it upon ourselves and let's go kind of fix some fig leaves. Which, side note, fig leaves in that area, because there's some, like, ecology with that. It's kind of funny. God has a sense of humor. Those fig leaves more than likely had an oil on them that were itchy, caused itchiness. So have fun with that one. Get, did you guys catch that? You're like, did that? Okay, never mind. We'll, we'll move on from there. But they saw the issue, that they were naked. And since they saw an issue, now that they have the knowledge of good and evil, they try to fix the issue of being naked. And notice that they had the knowledge. Their first idea wasn't to run to God but it was to take it upon themselves to fix the issue. And that's what happens, church, with this knowledge of good and evil, that we know what's bad, we have the wisdom to fix, to try to fix it, to spot the issue, to see the problem, but we don't have enough wisdom. Wisdom is the key word here. Wisdom to fix the issue. We don't. It doesn't give us enough to solve the issues on our own. And really, if you look at the world right now, our world is trying to give you a man-made solution for every one of your issues. Did you know there is an essential oil for every issue that you have? <laughs> hey, you've got this issue, just lather and oil yourself up and you're good to go. We, I've been a part of that. There, 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 there's, there's something that you can buy that, hey, if you just pay $24.99 right now, you can buy this thing that helps you sit on the toilet better. It's called Squatty Potty. And you can sit on there, and it helps you with that whole thing, and it'll solve all your dietary issues. You can do all of this. It can fix your problems. If you have something that breaks, use super glue. Duct tape, duct tape keeps everything together even if they don't want to be. And if all else fails, smoke some weed. At least you'll think everything will be all right. That's what's happening. That's what they're doing. They're trying man-made issues for every issue. And every answer to an issue, we try to conjure up, trying to fix it ourselves, and you know what happens? We just create more issues. We create more problems. And soon we find the boat that we're sitting in overflowing with leaks and we're sinking. And so that brings up the second question. If we have the knowledge of good and evil, how do we make it better? Right? That's what we do as humans. How, how can I make this better? 
How can I do it better? How can I perform better? How, how, how can I soup this up and make it even better and perform better? What, what, what can I do to make things better? Going back to my kids and the evil that they are doing, Jill and I, we do what every parent, what they do now. This is what every parent does. You want to know how parenting gets their tricks and trades and all that stuff? We look to Facebook for help. There's these groups on there, parenting groups, mama groups, daddy groups, or anything like that. And you can type on there, hey, this is happening in my household. How do I fix this? And everyone will give you answers to fix your solution. Help us to give us better ideas and how to discipline. And we try them. I mean, Jill is more of the calm discipliner. Like, let's sit down and talk with them and have this session of kumbaya and to help them really logically to understand. And sometimes this works. Sometimes it works. I, however, I'm Old Testament parenting. I, I am old. That's about the best way I can put it. I, I, I'm a little old school. I mean, or, I mean, you do something bad, I'm going to put the fear of God in you. Sometimes it's like, Micah, turn up the TV. Micah, turn up the TV. My, babe, you, you got to talk to him. Use your calming voice right now. Mr. Rogers on him right now. Let's, let's do this. It's not working. Mike, Micah, and then I'm about to bring the hand of God. That's me. <laughs> Upon his hiney, not really hard, a nice just little swat. That's still legal to do, right? Hopefully. And that's how we do things. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter which one we try to do. They both fail. They both fail. If you take a step back again and you look at the issues of problem, uh, solving the issues of hostility and conflict, of all the greed and rage and hatred, we try to solve these issues. I mean, we even have a prize to give to someone called the Nobel Peace Prize when we think they've solved the issue, but really they haven't because all it does is cause more problems. And the reason why this is an issue is because no, no, issue number two is this. Most of our attempts to make things better exclude God. Most of our attempts to make things better exclude God. Going back to disciplining our kids, I really had to reevaluate both of kind of our styles. I mean, we still talk calmly to them. We still give spankings. But we've also added this concept of prayer. That when they go to bed at night, we pray over them. That when they're awake, we pray over them. And we actually bring God into our attempts. If you wonder why most of our world is in the state that it is right now, it's because we've been excluding God when we try to make solutions. And if we fully rely on our own human progress when it comes to attempting solutions, those solutions will only be just for a little while. And they will fail, and they will cause more problems. Most of our attempts to make things better exclude God. And when we exclude God from our attempts, please hear this, we are essentially saying, God, I think I can do it better than you. When you exclude God from your attempts to the solution, you are essentially saying, God, I can do it better than you. And I know that's so hard. That's a really big pill to swallow. 
But that is what it is. Because we are created not to rely on ourselves. We were created to rely on a big God. And when we take our relying on him to ourself, we're saying, God, you can step back right now, go sit on the bench, I'll go and play the game by myself. I've got this. Let me even put it this way, even a bigger pill to swallow for you. When you exclude God, you're playing God. When you exclude God, you're taking on the role yourself as, I can be God. I can do it. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Genesis chapter 11. We're going to pick up in a new place in ancient history, and the earth is, is being populated from the descendants of Adam and Eve, and we see a group of people doing exactly what we said the issue was, a group of people that were excluding God. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. This is what it says. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, because everything, when you leave Eden, everything out of that garden has to go east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. Verse 3, they began to say to each other, hey, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And they, used it, and they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So essentially right here, we see human progress. Before this, they were just making huts out of rocks. And someone had the clever idea saying, hey, I found out if you mix, mix sticks with mud, you can create bricks. And why this was essential is bricks could have a much heavier load-bearing structure on it. And so now huts were only like maybe one or two stories. Now they can build a whole tower. And we see this even now with skyscrapers because everything before that for skyscrapers, they're only a few stories tall. And then due to human progress with engineering, now we can have skyscrapers. And now if you go to any of the cities, you see the whole skyline and skyscrapers are scattered through the whole deal. And you know why skyscrapers were created? It wasn't so, hey, we can hold more people if we go up. It was like, if I can build this, everyone will know my name. I'm the one that built the Sears Tower. I'm the one that built this. I'm the one that built Paris. I, I did this. And now we have skyscrapers all over the world. But here's the thing with human progress. When we achieve things, it builds our pride. When we achieve things, it builds our pride. And when our pride rises, our need for God dwindles, and we get to this place that we think because of our self-achieved progress, we don't need God, and then we get ourselves into some very dangerous territory. Because of our self-achieved progress, our pride gets built, and we get to a place saying, God, I don't need you anymore. Whether you're coming out and just being super black and white about it, or you just kind of start naturally relying on yourself rather than God. And more times, that's what it looks like. And this is exactly what we're seeing in this story. In verse 4, we see the hearts of their attempt. They want to actually build a structure called a ziggurat. If you ever look up this story on Google Images, it just looks like kind of the leaning tower of Pisa. Actually, more historically accurate is this ziggurat where it was kind of like a pyramid, but it was made for bricks. It was like steps. 
and on top of the ziggurat would be where the deity, where the God would live. And in this case, there was no God. These people wanted to build it so they could be on top. And so they're essentially saying, God, we figure it out. We start making bricks. We can build a tower, and you ain't going to live on the top, God. In fact, we're going to do it so we can be famous in this world, not you. And when you do that, just like anything with human progress, God has a tendency of stepping in. And this is what happens. Verse 5, but the Lord came down and looked at the city and the tower that people were building and said, look, the people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. I can kind of just hear God in a very sarcastic, kind of mischievous tone. He says, come, let's go down and confuse them with different languages. They think they got it. Let's go teach them a lesson. Then they, went, and then they won't be able to understand each other. Verse 8, in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. And this was why the city was called Babel because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. You see, these people, they tried to replace God. They tried to play God. And all it did was cause them more issues. Because there is a point where you think you've got it. You're going to be caught in a life situation where you're going to realize, I can't do this. I actually, I don't have a handle on it. I can't bear all of this. And this piece of scripture, God caused them to speak different languages and caused them to be confused and scattered across the world. But what about you? When you see issues and you try to fix it, what happens to you? For me, I get frustrated. Like very easily. I learned this lesson every time I think I have enough wisdom to fix a car. Because I like to be that guy that has all the tools, can speak about all these different numbers and calibrations and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then we have something wrong with the car and it says, babe, we need to take the car to the mechanic. I'm like, whoosh, whoosh. who needs the mechanic when you got me, babe? I've got this. So I go out there and I pull out my Walmart tool set and get it all out there and and I, I probably call a friend. I say, this is happening. And they said, hey, if you want to do it yourself, all you got to do is rip all this stuff out, put the new piece in, put all the stuff you ripped out and put it back in, and you'll be good to go. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Let's get this going. So I rip everything out. That's the easy part I found out. You rip everything out. And then you see the part that needs to be replaced. And you take that out, and that's easy too. But now... My vehicle has this issue where it seems like the bolts changed their, like, placement. Like, they were once here, but now I put this new piece on. The bolts are actually over here. And I don't know what's happening, but I get a little frustrated. And I'm thinking to myself, all they said was all I had to do was rip it out, put the new piece on, put the things I ripped out, put it back on, and we're super good to go. And I get a little frustrated. But I eventually, I get on there, and, and, and I some, some, sometimes I cuss, but sometimes I'm... Thank you. But we get it on there, and it's good to go, and now the really difficult task happens where everything I ripped out, and I didn't put it in nice little, you know, metallic bowls that all my auto shop friends have, and in their own auto shop world where they have everything laid out, and it's nice and neat and clean and everything else. Mine's just laying on the dirty cement in a big pile. And I have to figure out 
which bolt goes where, what piece of plastic goes over here. And at the end of the, at the, end of the day, I think it's all together and I still have a few bolts left. <laughs> and I get really frustrated. Figure out where all that goes. And this is like five hours past, like maybe with a 20 minute job. And I get it all fixed and I start it and the issue is still there. And I get frustrated thinking, I had the knowledge of what I needed to do. Rip it out, rip the old part out, put the new piece in, all the stuff I ripped out, put it back in the thing, and we're good to go. And I've learned the lesson of just because I think I know what I'm doing doesn't mean I actually know what I'm doing. So now, even if it's just a little bit of an oil change, I just take it to the guy who gets paid to do his job, who's considered a professional in his career, to do it. And yes, it costs money. And I know every guy here is judging me because you think you could save yourself money if you just do it yourself. Not worth it to me. <laughs> Not at all. I let that guy do it. And if it's wrong, guess what? I bring it back to that guy. The same goes with our issues too, church. You have the knowledge of good and evil. You can see the issue. You can spot the bad problems. You can see those things but you try to solve the issue yourself because the world tells you you can. If you do enough of this stuff, if you do enough of that stuff, you sure can fix it. But when you start plugging the holes in their boat and it starts leaking, more holes will show up. It's gonna happen. You know why? Because you're ignoring the one person who has all the knowledge and wisdom. And when you exclude God in your attempts, all you're doing is creating more issues for yourself. Vaughn, are you saying that we need to always rely on God? Absolutely. Everything rely on God. It doesn't matter. That's why the Bible says you need to pray about everything. From the smallest issues to the biggest issues. Could I be smart enough and learn how to do the job myself? Yes, but it's not worth the issues for me. Church, when it comes to our issues, we have the knowledge of good and evil, and that means we can spot the issue, but does it give us enough wisdom to fix it correctly and forever? No, it does not. But I have good news. God does. God is the best restorer. I don't care what Chip and Joanne Gaines might have. God is the best at that job. I don't care how broken or shattered or how messed up or how bad or ugly the issue may be, God can fix it. He's in the business. In fact, if you can put this down in your notes, the answer to our issues in this world is God. Is it that simple? Yes, it is. The answers to most of our issues in this world is God. Just because we have the knowledge to recognize the issue, it doesn't mean we have the wisdom to correct it, but God does. Tune in here, church. God has the answer to the issues. This can be applied to our earthly issues when it comes to politics, to social media, to climate change, all that stuff, technology. But even more importantly, even more importantly, because we're so focused on how we fix the world, we never ask, how can we fix ourselves? And that's just human nature. We're so, we're, it's so easy for us to, 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 to point out the issues in someone else's life, but we never look at it in our own life. And I think it's because we see the issue and we have no idea how to fix it. We see the issue in our life, but we have no idea how to solve it. But God does. He's the one that created you. 
He's the one that gave you a plan and a purpose. He's the one that has given you a destiny. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about you, the good, bad, and the ugly. So, of course, God would know how to fix the issue in your life. Let me say it this way. You might think you can do a better job than God. You might think you have a handle on this. But the reality of your situation is that you're not God. You're not. Maybe you have to remind yourself of that. I have to remind myself of that. You're not God. And you don't have a handle on this. Otherwise, the issue would have been fixed. You're not God. Otherwise, the issue would have already been fixed. But you have a Father in heaven that wants the best for you, that wants to be fully invested in your life. And he doesn't want you to be like Adam and Eve, where instead of running God to try to fix the problem themselves, he, wants, he doesn't want you to be like people trying to be like God and thinking you have a handle on things. Because all that happened in Scripture just created more problems for them. But instead, he wants you to, to do the exact opposite of what the world is telling you to do. He wants you to run to him. In fact, if you want to know what your first response should be, is to run to God. We're so keen on trying to find the quick fixes and the right oils and the, how to, the right dietary stuff and all this stuff to fix our life issues. But let me tell you, nothing is better than God. God is the one you need to run to. Take your issues to God. Give it up to him. Anything that looks broken, anything that looks tattered, it looks wrong or bad, give it to God. He has this unconditional love, this mercy, this never-ending grace that is always there. He never runs out of it. And scripture says, it says, come just as you are to the Father. That's the whole reason why Jesus died on the cross. You don't have to go jump through hoops before you can make your appearance to God. To talk to your Father in heaven. Share your issues with him and trust in his infinite wisdom to handle your messes. To handle your issues. To handle your problems. I mean, we joked about disciplining our kids, but I had to get to a point where I'm like, God... I've tried everything. I need your help. And it wasn't like God gave me like a parenting handbook that says, hey, you're trying this out. No, it was like something just like supernaturally changed. It was like because I was relying on God, this issue either corrects itself or it doesn't seem as bad as I'm making it. And that can be applicable to all of your issues, to your problems. Run to God. The reason why the world looks like it's ending is because the world has been so keen on trying to progress as humans, self-achievement, and this thing called pride has taken root and it's excluded God. And let me tell you, when things exclude God, those things get worse. But we as Christians, if we make our attempt to run to God first, Everyone can say the world is ending as we know it, but we can confidently say, but I feel fine. I feel great. I feel okay. I know it's bad and I see how the world is going, but 
I got to tell you, I've got some peace. I've got some security. I'm not scared of death. I think I'm going to be okay. You can have that. You can have that. Will you guys stand with me? If you can bow your head and close your eyes, we're going to enter into a time of reflection. We have to come to a place, church, where we stand before God and say, I can't do this on my own anymore. I mean, just to be transparent before you, I, I've, I had to make that decisions with sins that I've struggled with. Decisions I made that were clearly wrong. And I tried to fix them by myself. I tried the self-help books. I've tried all those different, and, and, and those things are good. Those things are good. But whenever you exclude God from the solution, it's not really a solution. And so along with the counseling, along with the self-help books, my priority in those times were, God, would you help me? God, would you get rid of this in my life? Would you uproot this? And let me tell you, God did. Sometimes it, was a, it seemed like a miracle and it was like almost instant. Sometimes it felt like it took forever. It was a season. But I'm telling you, when you continuously run to God, things do get better. You'll have a hope for tomorrow. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you'll realize when you look at this world, it's not all doom and gloom that there's actually good things happening, that God is, yes, still at work. But it all starts with a personal decision. So I've got two things this morning, and we're gonna sing this song. First one is, maybe you're here and you've heard this message for the first time, and you realize that I can't do it by myself, that I would like to have Jesus in my life. I wanna make that decision, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here saying, yeah, that's me? Amen. I see your hand. Yeah. Is there anyone else? It's as simple as saying, Lord, would you come into my life? Would you make me clean? Would you forgive me of my sins? God, starting today, I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for self-achievement. But God, I'm living for you. I'm 100% relying on you. And scripture says that by faith, you can know that you are saved. And you just start living it out. That means every single day, Lord, I'm living for you. Most tough questions come across, Lord, I'm living for you. Here's my second call. I'm gonna be available down here to pray with you. I'll be over here in this corner over here. And, but we're gonna sing a song called Broken Vessels. It's a very famous song in this church and we've sang it a hundred times. But it talks about God's amazing grace. That doesn't matter how broken you may find yourself, 
God is the king of restoration. He can handle your issues. He can handle the good, the bad, and the ugly. He can handle the things that you've been hiding for years. Because guess what? God knows everything. It doesn't shock him. And if you'd like to have prayer, I'll be just right down here. I'll be on your right hand. I'll be over here. I would love to pray for you. I'd love to encourage you. If you don't come down, I just want to make sure we end today's service. We want to end on a worshipful note. We want you to worship with us as we sing Broken Vessels. So Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts. Would you open our spirits, allow us to receive what you have. We thank you for this. In your mighty name, amen and amen. Let's begin to worship. I'll be right down here if you guys would like some prayer.